to Mawale. For the win! Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame! Pino gets the crossing. He's towards one championship medal. She is the greatest of all time. You just can't say it enough. Wow. Women singles champion Serena Williams. Large. Williams into Bird in the corner. You bet. She's done it again. Sue Bird. Hello, everyone, and welcome into All In. I'm Annabelle Watson here with Miles Grossman and Brett Tulip today, virtually over Zoom. Um, even though we are virtual, we have a pretty good schedule for you guys today. We have first, we're going to talk about some UConn women's basketball and kind of their fall from grace they have fallen to the lowest spot in rankings in 30 years and then in some more good news we're going to discuss Caitlin Clark passing the 3,000 point marker huge accomplishment for her and then we're just kind of going to get into some conference play that is upcoming in the NCAA and as the season has kind of progressed just talk about what our biggest disappointments have been of this women's basketball season so far. But first of all, Brett and Miles, how are you guys? I'm good. Yeah, nothing to complain about here. You know, a nice uh, Friday night. Um, excited. One of the last of the semester. So. Yeah, happy to be here as well. I'm dog sitting this week at this dog harassing me, but I'm I'm happy to be here. <laughs> All right, so we'll go ahead and get into our first topic. UConn's women, UConn women's basketball has fallen to the lowest spot in the AP rankings in 30 years. They clock in at number 17. And this is really due to AZ FUD um, and Caroline Ducharme being out. The UConn Huskies have just really been struck by the injury bug this year and even last year. Um they got the W against Ball State, um, but they still have been suffering a lot more losses than is really typical for a UConn team. Uh, they've lost to Texas, UCLA, and NC State, and it's just really because of those injuries. They just don't have the manpower that they normally do. But guys, do you foresee UConn having success long-term what can they do to kind of remedy the lack of of a full team right now? Well, I really think it depends what you mean by long-term. As in long-term next season, possibly. But I, I think for this season, it's going to be tough. And I don't think there's going to be a huge change that's going to come out of nowhere. I mean, they lost to Texas the other day. I think that was the first time ever uh, in program history. And that's not to say that Texas isn't a good team, but I think it says more about this UConn team not being one of those obviously dominant teams from the 2010s where they just couldn't lose. Um, you know, the offense hasn't looked the same, and you can chalk it up to injuries, but they're still going to have to, four of their next six games are against ranked opponents. I mean, I don't see much turning around for the rest of the season as the schedule gets even harder. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be dominant forever. I mean, when we were kids, we were just like, you know, UConn National Championship year in and year out. And then, you know, how do you continue that? You got to recruit. They did recruit, and then they've suffered the injury bug for, for four or five years now. So, you know, these these runs don't last forever. You think about Nick Saban, Alabama football. For the last couple of years, it looks like Kirby Smart and, and George is the dominant squad. And I think the same thing goes with, with Gino. You know, you can't be the number one top dog forever. It's just impossible to recruit that way. And there's always that certain element of luck. And then I think, you know, in a sort of way, the, the UConn Huskies luck has, has run out over the last couple of years. I don't think that, I mean, look at last year, they got knocked out in the sweet 16. That's not something that we're used to seeing, but this year at this point, I wouldn't be shocked to see back-to-back 16 sweet 16 losses which is you know just not their standard of 2009 to 2016 really yeah i mean it's been kind of a week of bad first for them they had a 357 week stretch of being in the top 15 and that ended um they last ranked this low in 1993 um and like brett mentioned it was their first ever loss to texas I do think it's worth mentioning that their losses come against some of the like better teams in the country, Texas, UCLA, NC State, but it's still not, they're not playing to the level that they typically do. And to your guys' point, dominance can only last for so long. And it seems like the injury bug is what's really getting them in this case. They also, you know, the, a lot of the focus has been on AZ FUD, but they also lost um, Jana L. Effie to a off-season injury. So she just hasn't played at all this season. And she was someone who people kind of look to to really be dominant along with AZ and um, Paige Beckers, but she just hasn't played in a game this season. Um I think it's definitely hard when you have six different lineups in eight games. That's really hard for coaching staff to figure out and to have to deliberate um, constantly before every game. Um, and even though Gino is such a good coach, it's that's weighs very heavy on any coach. Um, they put Paige in at forward in their win against Ball State, which I think is a good idea just knowing how dominant Paige is. Um, that's something they might be able to continue to do. But again, the level of competition when you're comparing a team like Ball State to the ranked opponents that they have coming up, who knows if having Paige in a non-typical role will be successful. Um, I do have faith in her. Like as a, as a UConn fan, I have faith in her that she can take on a different role um, leadership wise and actually on the court. But their upcoming games are against 24 UNC and 18 Louisville. So they have the opportunity to prove themselves, but it's really, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to, just with this constant shifting. Um, you have freshman Ashlyn Shade and Cadence Samuels, who really could step up, and then also redshirt freshman Ice Brady. So like looking ahead, they have some good young talent, um, I guess you kind of just hope that they don't succumb to the injury bug again. And and they're not going to – realistically, they're not going to reach the level of, of success they typically do with the lack of, of role players that they have. And it's just kind of an unfortunate bad luck kind of thing. But 
dominance ends and, and dynasties end. And it looks like we're kind of seeing a new era of UConn basketball. But speaking of dominant players, we have Caitlin Clark passing the 3,000 point marker against rival Iowa State. So super cool to see that in an in-state rivalry game. And now she sets her sights on the all-time NCAA women's scoring record, which is currently held by Kelsey Plum. So um, just general thoughts on that, guys. I, Caitlin Clark is someone who's been talked about in women's college basketball so, so much. She's the kind of the face of the NCAA women's basketball. And she's someone who I personally think has really given the league a lot of, of attention and really kind of driven some viewers to, to women's basketball, which is awesome, but just general thoughts on her and in, in these accomplishments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just quick to the popularity point, I think Caitlin Clark is probably more popular than most WNBA like all-stars or hall of famers in recent years. I mean, we've never seen anything like this Caitlin Clark, you know, sort of like surge and especially going to a school like Iowa. I mean, it's obviously big 10, but it's not the school you think of when you think of like big, you know, mainstream sports uh, type school. But anyway, I, I did do the math. Um, she, it, it's really tight. So she averages 29.6, 20 games left in the season. She barely, she barely beats it, uh, but she, she is on pace right now to beat the all time uh, women's basketball scoring record. And I think I think she's going to do it, assuming knock on wood, she doesn't get hurt. I think the closer and closer that she gets to it, the more and more of like a story, you know, it'll it'll be. And I mean, she does. She takes 22 shots a game, half of which are threes. So I, I think it's definitely possible. And again, if she doesn't get hurt, I, I, I think she's going to do it. Yeah, I think she'll definitely have a good chance at doing it. I think just knowing the type of player she is down the stretch, you could really see a couple 35-point games when it matters, you know. And I don't know if we've ever seen a, a player, maybe since Sabrina coming out at Oregon, where they really captivated this much attention, where this many people were waiting to watch their transition to the W. And I think, you know, that's what's going to be fun. I, I'm pretty sure because of the COVID year, she might have one more year of eligibility, but I don't think she's – planning on using it so i i from what i could read is she's supposed to be first overall draft pick in the upcoming draft and that should be that should be fun to watch and i think you know like you guys both touched on that you know keeping the momentum going from college eyes into the into the pros is huge for the sport as a whole and you know she she's so fun to watch i think you know the I guess the antics surrounding the angel reese beef were a little uncomfortable at times but no matter what you could say about that, it brought a lot of eyes to the game as a whole. And I think it's going to be fun to watch this type of type of talent the rest of the season. And I, I bet she's going to break the record just because that's who. She yeah, definitely. Um, Kelsey Plum kind of had some comments about her break, uh, Caitlin Clark potentially, potentially breaking the record. Um, and Kelsey Plum said she would be very, very happy for Caitlin Clark, obviously, but she kind of gave like a warning to Caitlin Clark 
and just saying she felt like people started caring less about the game and more about the individual points. Um, and she said she like felt like she lost a little bit of her identity and had a tough transition into the W because she had such high expectations. And I definitely think that's something Caitlin Clark should kind of take and keep in mind because there's just been so, so much hype around her. She's obviously projected to go number one in the WNBA draft. And I think we would all be super surprised if she doesn't do that, but it's also, you know, you got to go in with the mindset that she is transitioning to a kind of different kind of league um, where the competition is going to be a little bit harder, but I mean, just as far as her breaking the record, I think it's another great, like, it's really going to drive viewers back to women's basketball. She's just so fun to watch with, you know, not necessarily antics, but she can get a little theatrical and she's just so awesome to watch. Um, And in the W, I, I think she's going to have success, but it's always important to keep in mind that these players are, you know, they're they're people too. And sometimes those expectations can be a lot. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off, but I I think it's so true about the transition to the W because, you know, people don't talk about the physical aspect Mm -hmm. when it comes to college ball to to WNBA, because that's something everyone talks about in regards to men's basketball. Oh, this guy's physically built for the college game, but he's not thick enough. He's not strong enough to make it in the NBA. The same goes for the WNBA. I think one of the main reasons why the aces were so dominant over the last couple of years is they do such a good job when it comes to strength and conditioning, just the physicality of the Las Vegas aces, as opposed to the physicality of Iowa state, for example, it's going to be like night and day for Caitlin Clark. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a league like the W where you have so many college women's college basketball players who aren't even getting drafted, it's like the competition you're seeing is so, so much has so much more many years above you. And I think it's, it's definitely different. You know, like you said, Miles, people talk about that all the time in the NBA, but I think it's really prominent in the W as well, because there's kind of just like there's less players and a lot of those players are way more physical than college basketball. But um, as we transition to our next topic, we have conference play approaching pretty soon in a few weeks. Um, So we're, we're pretty well into this season, but I just want to get your guys' thoughts. Um, As, as conference play approaches, what conference do you guys seeing see being the most competitive right now um right now it looks like the pac 12 kind of has the most um teams in the top 25 kind of their swan song year but um just what are your guys's picks for the most competitive conference um yeah i i said the pac 12 for sure and i think it's headlined by those two teams with this like really young superstars and ucla and usc with with Kiki Rice and Juju Watkins, but I think it's not just those two teams. Again, that you mentioned, they have a lot of other ranked teams, Utah, Stanford, Colorado, even Washington state is currently ranked. Um, so it's close, but as of right now, I, I would have the pac 12. Yeah. I'm right there with you, Brett. I think it's funny that this is the last year of the conference. It's 
because the Pac-12 has not been known to be a, a dominant women's basketball conference whatsoever. And now that it's it's been trending in this direction over the last few years, and now that it's kind of peaking, it, it's its final year. I mean, you look at the top 11 teams, five of them are in the Pac-12, and then two top fives in USC, UCLA. And I think that's really fun. You know, Juju Watkins is probably, you know, outside of Caitlin Clark, outside of the big names like Angel Reese, she's one of the more electrifying players we have in all of NCAA women's basketball. So I think, you know, she's going to be an impact player for years to come. And it'll be fun to watch that final Pac-12 championship. That final Pac-12 tournament will be. Yeah, I'm going to have to. It's going to be a unanimous decision from us. Um, I'm going to say the Pac-12 as well. I think really when you look at it objectively, a lot of the other Power 5 conferences are a little bit lopsided. But um, the Pac-12 seems to be pretty loaded um you have ucla colorado usc and stanford um utah i know there's been some injury issues but also washington state like you guys mentioned uh pretty solid um and you know right now it's looking like the pac-12 could get at least one team into the final four um and like you guys mentioned stanford's cameron brink and USC's Juju Watkins they're players that should be in the conversation about you know the national player of the year along with Caitlin Clark obviously I think Caitlin Clark is probably gonna take that honor but you know it's it's good to have the conversations about players like Brink and Watkins um but yeah it's really interesting I think even in in NCAA football this year we saw the Pac-12 kind of come back into prominence a little more when it's their last year. And we're seeing the same thing in women's basketball, which is just kind of interesting as, you know, we see we're going to have it totally be realigned. And it's, it's, it's great to see that they kind of get that final year to really succeed and, you know, say goodbye. <laughs> but um, similarly, we're going to do our biggest disappointment of the season thus far. So again, we're about a month in what team has kind of not reached the expectations that you guys had going into this season. Okay. So I picked two um, because for obvious reasons, uh, I said it had to be UConn, um, but I know we, we talked about that enough. I mean, just because, there's injuries doesn't mean that there isn't disappointment as well. I mean, they, they go hand in hand and I, I think UConn's the clear answer, but besides them, I said maybe Duke um, in terms of teams that were like title favorites. I looked at like betting odds uh, preseason and they were probably the one that have fallen like the furthest. They sit at five and four with a, with a very hard schedule the rest of the way. So I don't see things getting uh, too much better for Duke women's basketball, but I think it's it's probably one of those two if I had to pick. Yeah, I was either thinking Duke or North Carolina. Both of those, you know, blue blood North Carolina programs haven't impressed me early. I definitely didn't expect the Tar Heels to be a six and three program at this point. Already three loss under their belt, and you look at how they've done so far, just eking by Vermont. 54 51 that's a that's a team you expect to to roll past falling it is on the road at a neutral site game but kansas state that's a game that you think you'd have under your belt you know those those blue blood programs north carolina i think on both sides in men's and women's were so used to to seeing top 10 finishes but not so much for the Tar Heels. 
Yeah, Brett, like you said, I think UConn is kind of the obvious answer. Um, but, you know, we discussed that at length. And I think not so much. I think the disappointing part, obviously, is the injury thing. But like you said, it's disappointing that they haven't been able to really rise to the challenge. Um, another team I think that has been kind of disappointing so far is LSU. They have had so much expectation on them as the reigning national champions. And they had that terrible uh, opener loss to Colorado, which kind of was pretty shocking to everyone. And then recently you've had this Angel Reese drama where she was away from the team for a little while and Kim Mulkey wasn't very transparent on why um, why exactly that was. Um, our most recent episode of All In, me, Chaz, and Julia went to we had a long Kim Mulkey rant. So um, I think that that drama kind of has been a little disappointing that all the talent on this team, Angel Reese, you have Haley Van Lith, you have Flaje, they have, it's kind of been clouded by drama. You know, you have um, Angel Reese's mom and Flaje's mom like fighting on Instagram. So just kind of some interesting stuff happening in that LSU locker room. And this was a team that obviously had huge, huge expectations as the reigning national champions. And then they, they only got better by adding Haley Van Liff. And it kind of, it kind of seems like they aren't the team they, they truly can be because of all this drama. But I, I kind of expect them to get back on back succeeding again. I think that as this drama kind of, gets away from them they're going to be able to have the success that they saw last year maybe not necessarily a national championship because as we know the field is so so open in the NCAA but um that'll about do it for our episode of all in today I'm Annabelle Watson here with Miles Grossman and Brett Tulip all in is a production of WFUV Sports